and we are live. Welcome back to the Ephraim Show. <laughs> Name change. This is episode 11, and I have Luke De Laporte back in here. He's a, a film fan, been a fan for a while. That's right, Like, guys, I remember LDLP when you told me... <laughs> I remember when you told me, like, at... I think it was Blue Star, what you wanted actually to work for, like, one of the film stores. That was when Blockbuster was a thing, but now... Yeah, Netflix took over. Yeah, at one point I was very into uh, working with uh, certain directors who I imagined myself to be like that when I was younger, but mm. I've changed quite a bit after about five, six, seven years. So, you know, I think we're also a bit past blockbusters as like a yeah. phase in Hollywood. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, it's true. But it kind of came because I think you could like have a blockbusters in today's day and age but the problem is it's gonna be like very niche in my opinion like netflix will still make all the money um you know blockbusters aren't going to go away in my opinion but i do think mm. that um what i believe is that uh you're going to still get blockbusters and you're going to get these big film companies that make these big films with lots of special effects um, mm. Lots of well-known actors and people, yep. but some are going to be of substance, others not so much. Mm-hmm. Well, that kind of segues into our first point, are modern movies better or worse? I'm curious on your thoughts on this one. Now, that is a very, now that's a very <laughs> good question to ask me, because I'm very, mm. I'm very divided on whether modern films are better <clears throat> or worse than... Mm. than classic films um mm. so i am of the belief that while well, a lot of modern films are good there are unfortunately a lot of terrible modern films and mm. a lot of the movies i am interested in are old films i grew up watching mm. movies from the 50s the 80s the 90s television wow. from that era so mm. before i even watched anything from the time when i was born or around that time period. So I appreciate old cinema rather than modern mm -hmm. cinema. But I do see that there are a lot of movies and films and shows that I enjoy watching that are modern. I mean, you know, I'm a huge Stranger Things fan. Oh, I, yes. I watched Narcos a few years ago and I thought it was a great show. I mm. watch a lot of documentaries on Netflix that are actually very well produced um, bring in the well they have very good rotten tomatoes ratings let's put it that way <laughs> mm -mm -mm. i have a, i have a good response to this question are modern movies better or worse i'd say modern movies are better in terms of like production and i guess the film industry has become much better as a business because let's be honest that this is a business you're dealing with like millions of dollars of equipment you got a-list like celebrities in the films it's a big business it is a business but, but in but... terms of like um i'd say the storytelling it kind of gets iffy and that's why i think i was also yeah. so scared to get into kind of photography because if you're honest with yourself you're getting into a big business and when it comes to business, what you want and what the world want are kind of two different things. So, yeah, I can do it. But it's like, 
I may have to do things which I don't believe in to make survive. Yeah, I understand where you're uh, coming from. I mean, the film industry is a business, and mm. you do have to make, and, and people do make films for money. But I feel yeah, like when the artistry of filmmaking is not emphasized in the movie or project that you're making, then there is mm. a bit of a problem. And then it's just not really good filmmaking or ethical, in my opinion. Mm. But don't you think that's kind of a difficult line to draw? Because obviously it's a business and you have actors. They're not going to come here and act for free. Obviously, you want to make money, but then it's mm-hmm. like, I, I don't know if the director has like too much of a say or it varies, I'm not sure actually. On the line. Mm. It varies. Um, sometimes directors have a lot of control over a project, especially mm-hmm. if it's their money and it's money that they've possibly also got from you know people like by kickstarter to some extent yep. but when mm. it's a studio that have like universal put, like well like universal like warner brothers like mm. even netflix arguably yeah. they give you money they say hey we want you to make this film or they're like hey this is a very good uh film we want you to direct it for us mm. then you don't have too much control or as much control as you want and you just Mm. kind of have to see what the studio wants but also Mm -hmm. how you can make the film what it is Mm. that's a very difficult thing i mean studio interference has Mm. actually affected a couple of films and is something that i'm very anti i don't really Mm. enjoy it or like it when studios interfere with filmmaking because sometimes they try and kind of like make films appeal too much to people but Mm. they don't take into consideration the artistry or the film being popular with critics other audiences etc yeah it's a tricky thing because for me it's almost like you look at like marvel the avengers i'm sure everybody has watched it by now and you think of the money that's gone into it. Like if I were to like decide like today, hey, I want to be a director for a day. <laughs> Although we w- I'm well off, I cannot tell you I have Marvel Avengers money because that's a lot of money. So depending on what you want to do, I think it's almost to me, I look at it like an artist who's independent or signed to a label. Like if you're signed to a label, they're going to tell you, you need to do this, that, that. But if you're independent, you kind of bring your own money and you're like, I want to do what I want. So in a case, I would be against it. But because of like, you know, there are a lot of young directors who want to do a thing. It's kind of, you could almost say the necessary evil, because I don't think many people can tell me today that like they got Avengers money and they're going to like fund the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, filmmakers these days, depending on the studio they work with or the brand, Mm. they can have a lot of money to work with. Mm. But that's not always the case. A lot of films aren't just made by mainstream studios and companies. They're also Mm. made by people who have money and they either want to make money through filmmaking or Mm. they want to get a point across through storytelling via filmmaking and hopefully 
the film gets put in um produced at cinemas shows at cinemas and uh there's a good box office but um also i'm not a huge proponent of marvel or dc as companies Mm. when it comes to how they make films i think Mm. that they've kind of been they've kind of been uh more concerned about the financial success of their films mm. rather than critical success and also they want to make a lot of sequels and a lot of films that connect to one another and the mm. quality has just dropped completely because they're more concerned about making sequels prequels and yep. side films rather than actually making films that we can look back on and be like oh hey i enjoyed that movie oh you know i want to rewatch it again oh i i like that it impacted me somehow yeah, yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent on that point because, like, um, I'd say ever since like grade ten to matric, like I've never really delved into the film thing, and just like this year, like I watched Dunkirk from Christopher Nolan and oh, Tenet. That's a good film. And I've watched Dunkirk like three times, but I've, it's never been like where the like the baby shark song where the parents are like hella annoyed like if my daughter says play baby shark you know i'm gonna lose it but it it uh, almost kind of made me just like it kind of captured my mind of like wow i've watched this film three times but i'm not complaining i'm not like on my phone i'm kind of trying to see the little details so i'm like oh this is this is interesting Dunkirk is actually a very good film, in my opinion. I actually saw it back when I was in grade 10, because Mm. my father and I were like, let's watch a movie at the mall together. Hey, Mm. let's invite your grandfather also to watch a movie with us. And we all unanimously chose Dunkirk, because at Mm -hmm. the time it looked very interesting, and also because it was a war film. And I enjoy movies about the Second World War, or history in general. So... Mm. With that in mind, we saw it, and we absolutely loved it. I mean, we didn't, well, in a way, we didn't love it. It was a very harrowing film to watch. It was very hectic. Um, You kind of felt you were on the beaches of France Mm -hmm. when you were watching that film. And the story, although very amazing, is also very tragic. And because my father and grandfather have... um, World War II veterans in their families, um, mm. the film was very relatable to us because mm. we know our family's history. Yeah, that's that's amazing. That's amazing. And I think, I don't know, I think it's, it's a tricky, tricky place to be in when you're Marvel and DC because I think it's almost like when I think of Rolex or, you know, the Time magazine, you kind of have people who, you know, like your, you know, your target market and you know that whatever you put out, like the Vogue's, the Hype Beasts, the Supremes of the world, like what, whatever you put out, people are going to come and buy it. Like the Rolex, like everybody wants a Rolex, people are on waiting lists and you know, people are going to buy a product. So that's yeah. how I think of Marvel and DC. Although it's a good place to be in, it doesn't mean that I can just, let's say, like, let's say if I make a Tabo part one movie, I'm like, okay, tell my life story. Then in part two, I just make it like a zombie survival, but not much effort. Then part three, 
like I link it back to part one and I'm just recycling content. That's kind of whack in my opinion. Yeah, that would that would be very whack in my, mm. in my opinion as well. I agree with you. Um, I mean, also, Marvel and DC films actually were good at one stage. I mean, mm. you know, I saw Iron Man when I was about seven or eight years old. Mm. And uh, that was actually a very good film. And mm. uh, that was before all the sequels, all the other movies. Oof. I even saw the Avengers when I was very little. And um, I thought it was good, even though it, uh, you know, it was a very mainstream film. Didn't really appeal to like people who were into artistic filmmaking. But mm. uh, it was it was competently made. It had a good story. I liked the actors. Mm. It made me feel something. And um, that can't be said for other DC and um, Marvel films. I mean, DC movies haven't been that good in a while, in my personal mm. opinion. Yeah. I think that the only two DC films I've enjoyed recently are Wonder Woman and mm. uh, Joker. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think the only problem with DC is that they rely too much on the Batman, Joker, and Wonder Woman. But for me, it's a very dangerous place because at least with Marvel, they have like the Avengers. So even though in the movies they die, they could delve, like I'm sure they're going to delve into Black Widow's story and Hawkeye and the other ones. So they kind of got a rotation of Marvel. Yeah. Hmm, sorry, you were saying? Yeah, Marvel. Actually, we can hop on to the next question. We've kind of yeah. exhausted the first one. <laughs> are movies now... We kind of touched on this, but I'll just say, are movies now more about business rather than the love of movies? What do you think? They unfortunately are more about business than the love of movies. Um, mm. I mean, we can see it with Marvel and DC films these days. How much mm -hmm. movies from their companies and brands are being produced yeah. how the how the critical reviews and ratings for those films and how fans are even reacting now to those films from Marvel and DC mm. are very disillusioned wondering what the heck is going on with mm. these films mm. that I've grown up watching and now they're just being messed up or the people making it don't care about the characters or the writing anymore I mean, uh, you know, even in the olden days, filmmakers were concerned about business and money, but mm -hmm. they didn't let that get in the way of the script, of the whole aesthetic, of the fact that they also wanted to hopefully be awarded for what films they did. They wanted mm -hmm. Oscars. They wanted to appear at the Cannes Film Festival. Very admirable, I think, personally. But mm. now films aren't really being written or produced in that way anymore. And I find it very disappointing. It's actually one of the few reasons I'm very kind of anxious about also getting into the film industry myself. Because mm. I don't want my film ideas about real world issues mm. and very gritty subject matter to be completely disregarded. Because apparently superhero and action films make more money and are more profitable. Yeah, that's very, very true. And I think I've kind of come up with another question. 
do you think and i'll answer after you do you think there's any way to maybe like i don't know if we could put a system or come up with something to where like a system to kind of make the directors like focus more on the details and the story rather than like oh i'm making a joker movie and this is gonna do well so i better put in more effort yeah, that should be the attitude of most filmmakers. Unfortunately, mm. that's no longer the case. But I like to think that things will change in the industry. Mm-hmm. And that also directors and producers kind of have more freedom of expression and more time and more things to work with if they are making a passion project. Mm, yep i agree it's it's tough the business it's a difficult industry Uh, and it's very mm, difficult to please studios some audiences who want to see the same or similar things when they go to the theater yeah and also you know critics like Mm. esteemed critics who are going to possibly tear a film to shreds because Mm. it isn't well made the camera angles were wrong, the main actor was terrible, mm. it just was a completely incompetent film. Yeah, I'm sure it's like prime age for critics right now because the film industry, like the money is there, don't get it mm. twisted, but like the, although the production is good, I think the storytelling side is kind of like falling. It's very much lacking, the storytelling yeah. aspects of films. I think also a lot of the movies we're seeing these days Hmm. lack proper stories or at least Hmm. stories that are trying to interest us or intrigue us to watch them i mean you know every once in a while you do come across a film that kind of differentiates itself in that regard kind of like joker and we're back, I guess. <laughs> we're still on question two, guys. Luke made a mistake, but we'll edit it out. It wasn't yeah, guys, my apologies. <laughs> we're human. We're human. We are. Yep, 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 yep. So how do you think... Um, like, I'm not sure if we um, try tackle, like, the celebrity culture or the but I know it's super difficult to be an actor and earn a living, but I'm not yeah. sure if it's the blockbusters or it's the actors or it's the fans and how do we take the industry back to like the great storytelling, like great messages. Well, for one, we're going to have to read scripts more than once mm-hmm. and get them across to producers because... The most terrible scripts and premises for films and films with not a good script are being promoted and turned into feature-length films. And then we also need to think about, you know, how can we make this production stellar? How can we differentiate it from other films? And how can we make it better? And how can we also you know, show people that we're trying to make something that is both mainstream, but also very art house. Mm. Yeah, that's, a, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. 
think we'll just move on to the third question, which I think is my most favorite one because I like to play prediction. Okay. Are we going to have me. a repeat of Blockbuster? Uh, I don't think we're going to have a repeat of Blockbuster because we're currently in the phase of Blockbuster films. I mean, mm -hmm. the concept of the Blockbuster film kind of mm -hmm. came in the seventh, started in the 70s with the film mm -hmm. Jaws, which was meant mm -hmm. to appeal to large audiences, make lots of money, but also be well written. And ever uh, no, since I, thought, I think you got my question wrong. I, what I meant by blockbuster is like, not the film, but like when you went to rent like DVDs like that. Oh, like the company. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yep. You know, I, I wish that we, I wish that video shops could come back, but mm. unfortunately, I don't think they're going to return. Because people yeah. are so used to downloading films, watching films on torrent websites, downloading, yeah. and also used to Netflix. So, yeah. unfortunately, I don't think we're going to be renting out DVDs or VHS tapes <laughs> anymore from Blockbuster or these other companies. I think Mr. Video was very popular in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it's a pity because... I'm very nostalgic for those days. You know, I remember when I was little and there was this place called Cineland, close mm. to where I lived in Rondebosch. And uh, it's it uh, was a place you could rent VHS tapes and DVDs from. Now, this was when I was very little. And I was mm -hmm. always very happy to go there and rent a film. It was nice to return it the day after. Usually mm. the films were very good. Any film you wanted, it was there. I remember asking for this uh, one Israeli movie, Waltz of Bashir, and mm. uh, I expected this video shop, unlike the other ones, mm -hmm. to have it. It mm. had it. Wow. It had so many films. It was amazing, and it made them so much better than other video stores in Cape Town. Unfortunately, wow. um, Cineland closed during my grade eight year and mm. um i don't think it'll ever really reopen but there were reasons for why it closed down besides the fact that um video rental sh stores were becoming unpopular there was mm. also just not many people who wanted to rent videos anymore yeah but that's sad. we're but if we are lucky which we might be we might mm. return to a phase where, kind of like the nostalgia for renting out videos or tapes, will kind of return, and maybe people will open up a video rental shop for the novelty of it. Yeah, you but know I what? You, you, you do have a point there, because, like, I remember when I stayed in observatory, like, yeah. there are a lot of, like, vintage bookstores, vintage, like... Um, the old school discs <laughs> stories, I don't know what it's called, I forgot. But that was like a big thing in that area. And I think like with the generation, you know, people wearing vintage jeans, vintage designer, it may come back. But my only problem is I kind of feel like it's kind of like a fad. Because it it's like, like they like vintage and then, you know, they're going to be onto the new thing. So it's like, it's not going to be sustainable. Yeah, that is that is one of the implications. 
of a fad. Mm. I mean, um, you know, uh, I think you might also be talking about the place you're talking about actually reminds me of this uh, vinyl store in Cape Town. Mm. That's very popular. Yep. Oh it's yes, that, there we go. The vinyls. Yep, that place. That's a that's a very mm. interesting place, but um, you know, not many people buy vinyl from there. They're just into old music, and also mm. when they have Instagram accounts, they're like, "Let me show you that I'm into older music by oh, showing you a photograph yeah. of me walking around this store." or mm. um, dressed in bell bottoms and some 70s fashion. But <laughs> there are a couple of true music connoisseurs who may be, you know, into that store. I know there are. That's why the store exists, mm. because there is a community yeah, of people. And we also have a lot of people these days who now have vinyl players again. I mean, when yeah, you go yeah, to yeah. the Canal Walk Mall, you will actually see at, uh, I think, Musica, that they're selling mm. vinyl players and they're selling vinyl records and they're also making modern music musical albums have yeah. vinyl editions mm. i mean yeah, I, never a big, that's to, a big business. I never used to see Dua Lipa or um, you know, these other musicians on vinyl because it didn't exist um mm. before they were born but yeah. now they do yeah, I think that's cool, like the business of vinyl. And I know it's a big business, but I don't know too much about it. So now we'll move to the fourth question. How do you tell if a movie is good? Well, like the other questions, it is mm -hmm. a complex one. I mean, mm. how do, if you're asking me as a, as a cinephile, mm -hmm. how do I determine a film's good? Yeah. It usually, usually people say, oh, you know, the camera work, the film being in focus, um, the aesthetic, those are the main things that tell you that a film is good. They mm -hmm. are the things that tell you which that a film is good, but they're not the be-all, end-all. Mm -hmm. Movies are good because of their actors, because of their music, because of their messages, because of the story they're telling mm. and also because of their overall production. I mean, also mm. editing is a huge and important aspect to filmmaking. Yeah. And while I'm not all too familiar with editing, I do mm -hmm. understand its significance. And you know, if a film is badly edited, I'm going to notice mm. it. I yeah. mean, uh, I don't know about you, but when I see, like, a weird cut to a certain scene, I notice mm. that. I'm like, what? It's taking me out of the film completely. Jeez. Yeah, I agree. I think for me, I think we can use cuties as an example, but I'll kind of push back on cuties a bit. I'll, I use cuties as an example because I think the film was great, but what failed them is kind of the marketing so for me, when I think of a good film, you need good marketing, obviously good editor, shout out to the editors, mm -hmm. actors, do their job. And I'd say good screenwriters. So I'd say like the whole package needs to be kind of good because I think, yeah. I you mean, obviously gonna... it's a tricky budget, but I mean, you need to get 
these things right. It's almost like a team. Everybody needs to be functioning at the the right level to get make everything work. Yes. You know, a famous YouTuber who I used to follow named Ralph Seppi, who mm. used to speak on films and filmmaking and actually was a film student, he said, and I quote, movies are like a puzzle. If all the pieces fit, you have a great film. And mm. the pieces are all the things that you mentioned and I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if the puzzles don't fit, then you don't really have a structured movie or mm. um, project that you're working on. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a film is very much something that a group of people work on. Now, mm. that is a very interesting statement to make because it's very mm. self-evident. But, mm. you know, you do have to have good communication with your cast with your editors, with your screenwriter, with your producer, with your director, with your sound design person. All those people do matter. Sometimes Mm -hmm. there is conflict. Sometimes there isn't conflict. Sometimes Mm -hmm. a director is very overly dedicated to his film and is kind Mm -hmm. of a bit like a dictator. I know I can be a bit like that when I want (laughs) an idea to, to be made. I'm like, hey, do it this way. Do it that way. If you don't do it this way, you know, don't come to the set tomorrow. But um, mm. it varies very much whether you want to be yeah. good to your crew or very stern. Yeah, I think as a director, I think you kind of win the biggest and lose the biggest because they kind of know that like you're like the boss of the show in a way. So I think, sure. and I just think, the interesting thing about like modern directors and actors is that like right now like you look at the acting industry you got a lot of options so almost like photography videography you know they're options so as a director you you all you already know that like look if you don't do this job you know there are kind of 10 other people kind of to fit the role although that's kind of cutthroat but also like i'd say that i mean you you need the tough love but also it's like i mean if you don't trust your crew then i mean you kind of have i mean i'm not sure how the movies like the movie reviews go if they like go in in the director if the movie's not great but it's like although you take the fall everybody takes the fall as well that the directors the editors the people who did the sound like everybody takes the hit Indeed, I mean, also, it's usually the director who has to deal with most of the criticism if a film doesn't work out. It usually leads to the director's role. Now, that can either be very, that can either be fair or it can be unfair. Mm. In some situations, a director may give too many liberties to cast members, um, editors, people involved in post-production, but... Mm. There will also be times where, you know, a director also won't be able to know how to kind of steady their crew members in what mm. they're doing or how to do it. In that case, it is a bit unfair to blame the director or say that the director is responsible for the issues. Yeah. I mean, also, um, 
you know, some actors aren't exactly the best people to work with. I mm-hmm. mean, Christian Bale, for example, was very mm. difficult at one stage when he was di- when he was starring in one of the Terminator films. Hmm. Yeah, you, you touched on a good point. We can stay there. Actors being difficult to work with. Yeah, I think, for me, I think it's kind of two things. It's one, like when you're working with the Christian Bales, the Michael B. Jordans. These are celebrities. Let's just get that straight. These are celebrities. Now, the problem with working with celebrities is a lot of these guys can lose kind of humility. And it's kind of difficult because, you know, you're the director. You're in charge of the show, you know, like you can bring in who you want to have the role and you can yeah. kick out who. You're the director. You're working with just to direct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You need to, you know, create the plays, lead the plays. But when you're working with celebrities, they kind of think like it's a tricky dynamic because they're like, what are you going to tell me? Like, you're not on the front of the cover, da, da, da. But I mean... It's it's a tricky one. I think for me, like like I said, it's like a team. Everybody needs to do their job. And yeah, you can survive being the main character, but <laughs> you may not get the good roles. Yeah, I, I definitely can understand that. Mm. I mean, also, sometimes also other crew members can be difficult to interact with or deal with i mean Mm. i i'm very focused on directing and screenwriting when it comes to films i've Mm. never really focused too much on cinematography um Mm -hmm. sound design editing Mm. Mm. um visual effects as something in regards to how i look at film but mm. I can imagine that if I had to be like the director of a film, I would have mm. to interact a lot with the main editor or person who is a cinematographer. Mm. And there's also the chance that um, the person you're working with might be quite belligerent. And that might be a bit of an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Heck, they it's might tough. also actually, you could even argue that they would try to sabotage the film solely because you disagree with them or they think that you're being unfair to them. Now, I know that sounds a bit like a controversial opinion, but, Mm -hmm. you know, some people can be like that. And it's not always as easy as, you know, replacing a crew member or saying, you know, don't stay on the set any longer. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you even just have to you have to take it. Mm, well, that was a good point. The future directors out there. It's not <laughs> Definitely. Oh, tough, tough. And uh, is this the fifth one? I think this is the fifth question. Do we need more directors like Mr. Christopher Nolan? Ah, uh, Christopher Nolan. A brilliant director mm. of not just Dunkirk, but also the Dark Knight trilogy yeah. and Tenet. Ah, he's a good director. Um, but um, we do need more good directors. And also a lot of directors these days, they're not new. They're, they're, from, they're from another era of filmmaking. I mean, Martin Scorsese is still making movies. And his career started in the 70s. 
we don't wow. really have too much modern filmmakers besides mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan and the guy who directed La La Land. Oh, yeah. Two guys do come to mind, and they're the Safdie brothers. They're very cool people. Mm. They're the directors of uh, Uncut Gems and Good Time. They're both mm. very good films. I highly recommend them. If you're listening to this podcast, actually yeah, check yeah. out a lot of films that we're recommending or talking about, discussing. But do you think it's the generation? Because I've searched Christopher Nolan on Wikipedia and it says he was born on in 1970, 30 July, and he's 50. And I think, I mean, not to dig at, I mean, um, I have to keep it a buck, but I think from the time which he came from, like, I think you got popular or you made a name for yourself for doing something like putting in the work, not uploading a TikTok or, you know, just vlogging. Well, not to say it's not difficult, but you had to, you know, bring something to the table, you know, not just your pretty face and the brands. But yeah. do you think it's just because maybe because a lot of young people these days not to say that they're not talented, but like it's almost like you're trying to find a special one, but there are too many sheep out there, if you get my gist. Yes, I understand where you're coming from. Um, you know, it was a lot more complex to get into the film industry in the olden days. I mean, mm. you either worked your way up as somebody who helped on the set or mm. handled the camera and then went on to do other jobs and then eventually you were allowed the money to make your own film or Mm. apply your own script to a studio who said, hey, we want to make your film into a motion picture. But um, modern film directors don't really have to do that. They can, Mm. but they can also just get a formal film education and then hope that one of their friends they made at university or college can put in the word for them to make a film or to forward an idea to a studio or a bigger person. And, you know, that works, but it also doesn't work. And a lot of the directors I admired, who Mm -hmm. I admire, Mm. they worked their way up and Mm. they also didn't study at film schools. They studied Mm -hmm. components on film Mm-hmm. At, on a university level they didn't really learn how to use a camera they just learned how to write scripts and how to discuss filmmaking mm-hmm. and they're some of the best filmmakers that i've ever seen and mm-hmm. they know about as much on film if not more than the average film student or person who studied visual med- the visual medium of film Sheesh. Oh. You know, film schools, are you tuning in, bro? This is embarrassing, mate. It's embarrassing. It is, <laughs> because, unfortunately. I mean, we, we thought bringing in these film schools, but no offense, I'm sure there are good ones out there, but we thought bringing in these film schools would, like, make it much better, but it's kind of <laughs> made the some film institutions look like idiots in a way because it's like we kind of got to nowhere, and, you know, the Christian for Nolans of the world's, no offense, are going to continue to um, be successful because they bring something different, not like something <laughs> general. Yes, they bring, they bring something different, but they also aren't 
they also aren't too influenced by their films mm. being financial mm. successes. They're more concerned mm. about critical success. And that's mm. very admirable, in my opinion. Mm. I mean, film schools, um, a lot of them have been established, but only a couple of film schools actually are worth going to. You might as well mm. not go to a film school at all if you want to get into the film industry. You might as mm. well start from the bottom or mm. you should do a theoretical course at a university or college. Mm. I mean, the, the, the problem is, is, is that while a lot of film schools, there are, there are a lot of film schools that are very much proponents of art house filmmaking, mm. but then you also get a lot of film schools that are more concerned about making people have jobs and mm. not really being too concerned with the artistic aspects of filmmaking. And those film schools are very popular, but they're also mm. not very well respected by some circles of filmmakers and cinephiles such as myself. I mean, mm. you know, film schools should actually even be more theoretical than practical. I mean, mm -hmm. you can talk you can talk about the artistry and how complex um, screenwriting, directing, cinematography are, but you can't really you can't really write a paper on special effects or mm. editing or costume design. Mm. Do we really do we really perceive those things as being of on the same or of the same essence? as other aspects of film. Yeah, you have a good, good, good point. You know, the, point. the best film schools are actually in America, Canada, mm. oh, Canada. in the UK, and mm. I even think there's actually a very good film school in Israel of all places. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, but, though, but why are those film schools successful? Because they're more theoretical? Because mm. they're not overly concerned with making a buck? And they also, they're, they're about research. They're about mm. documenting film. They're about analyzing film. I mean, that's the point of a university also at the end of the day. Yeah. It's, it's called a research university for a reason, because research is made. If you don't have people doing PhDs or masters Jeez. or serious papers on filmmaking, can you even call that institution an institution? Well, that's, that's a fair argument, fair argument. But I think what we can take away is that, like, people will do crazy things just to get the bag. And I think what a lot of people forget about that is that, although you can join the Marvels and the DCs and you can make your money, you can play Joker, and, you know, Tom Holland, Holland did well for being Spider-Man. In the long run, it's... I don't see it as sustainable because, yeah, you can follow trends, you know, you can be the hot director, okay, let me just direct Marvel movies because I know I'm going to bring home money, but then when the, our kids look back at Marvel and look at it and it's like, bro, I can't even watch this, then what? Because the money's going to stop someday. Then it's going to uh, be the destruction of the film industry. Mm. People are going to stop wanting to see films, they're going to stop caring about quality of filmmaking, and even though the industry is going to continue, 
mm. nothing really of substance is going to be produced or promoted or advertised. I mean, you know, a lot of these films, I don't think I'm ever going to remember having seen, except mm. for some. And yeah. I believe that, you know, eventually we may return to you know, a better phase of filmmaking yeah. and where people are going to care more about the aspects that you and I perceive as correct and yeah. appropriate and conventional and that we don't continue on this downward spiral of how films are being made. I mean, mm. also, fil film schools that are very dedicated to um, archiving films are admirable film film schools that are really just departments of universities such as ucla uct mm. um toronto they're better they're more recommended than going to a normal conventional film school i mean you know uh, a lot of film schools also don't have lecturers with formal film education Oh, I mean, nice. some film schools, their their faculty didn't go to university. They just learned on the job. They didn't study okay. film theory. They just learned on the job. And now they're lecturers all of a sudden. Wow. That That's wow. not any disrespect towards people who mm -hmm. don't have yeah. a university degree or mm -hmm. some education. But I do yeah. feel like when you are teaching... A, faculty, a film faculty in a film faculty, then you do mm -hmm. have to have some education. You don't even need to have a degree in filmmaking or film theory. You just can yeah. have a degree in psychology or fine art, and mm. that'll be enough. But with these universities having lecturers in film who don't have proper education, who, yes, they made films, yes, they were part of productions, but mm. did they care about the artistry of it? No, they didn't. Then we do have a problem on our hands. Yeah, as an industry, but mm -hmm. also as people who, you know, watch films, go to the cinema, read up on films, everything mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, I think it can work because, like you said, a lot of the famous directors haven't gone to school. But I'll push back because... This is an investment. Let's not get it twisted. You're paying money to go to school. So you'd kind of expect like some structure, like I'm going to learn the in-betweens. Because to be honest with you, like with the photography thing, I wasn't going to go to uni for it. But then I decided, you know what, let me go because I've learned so much of the theory. Although the practical, it's not that important because I'm good at it. But the theory is very important and it'll make you look at it at different angles. So not to say they're not eligible, but they would be like the full picture. Yes, indeed. I can understand that. Um, you know, also a lot of modern film directors, they actually didn't, they actually don't have a BA in film studies or film theory. They actually mm -hmm. have other, de other degrees. Um, I have heard of directors who have, who have, architecture, philosophy, theology, mm. anthropology degrees. Ooh. And 
they make films and their films are brilliant. Um, There are a lot of directors who have an education not in film, but they Mm. make very great films and they apply their knowledge from their degree and their studies to what they're making. That's very interesting. And I think we'll be moving on. You know, that's why I want to, you know, that's also why I believe also that an English literature degree or Mm -hmm. a fine art degree could actually help a filmmaker Mm. with their film. The guy who directed Jerusalem Gangster's Paradise was Rolf Zeman. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He has a fine art degree. Mm. But, um, you know, and a lot of South African directors, like uh, Oliver Hermanus, yes, he, he studied film at UCT. And he's made some very brilliant films. But mm. then you also have um, directors like Katinka Haynes, who didn't study filmmaking. And then you also have um, Gavin Hood, who directed Sutsi, a very famous South African film. And yes, he went to bits, but he didn't study a film degree. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, yeah film directors like Ralph Zeman, interesting. So our last question, uh, this is going to be a hard, another hard hitter. These questions are oh, tough. Bring the hard hitters on. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Politics and movies. And I think the way I refer to it is almost not kind of trends, but what is going on like politically in the world at the time. Because I think like right now, feminism is big. And there was kind of chatter about like, a woman actually taking James Bond's role in 007. And I'm not sure if it's going to happen. It's kind of all speculation right now, but there's point, a kind of possibility. That, at one point, they said that Idris Elba was going to be the next James Bond. So anything is possible at this stage. Yeah, I think I'll just give my thoughts on it, then you can close. I think for me, I don't know. It's a tough one because, I mean, they need to make their money. But for me... It doesn't make me feel good that I kind of know that you didn't get the role because you're a good actor or you brought something to the table. You kind of got the role because you're like, oh, you know what? You know, people are crying about this. Okay, let's get this person on. Oh, you know, Black Lives Matter was big. Let me let me just bring in the black person so that, you know, people are quiet. So I think when you do stuff like that, it's it kind of makes me lose respect because like, I don't even care about the actor. We already know that you're just there because they want to throw a narrative at you, not because you put in the work, you know what you're doing, you're an established actor. They just want to put something out there. Okay, let's keep these people quiet. Yeah, um, you know, politics in film is also very divisive. I mean, Mm. sometimes films have serious political agendas, Sometimes Mm. they don't. Sometimes films see that something's very popular or huge Mm. politically, and then they decide to support it whether they agree with it or not. I mean, uh, Marvel, for example, I don't Mm. think they've really, you know, like, taken politics seriously. But when Captain Marvel came out, Mm. they said that... um, it was a very pro-feminist film, but mm. that it wasn't necessary for the film to be feminist. 
and also that um, it was solely just to promote feminism as an ideology. Mm. Now, some films that try too hard to do that, whether they believe in it or not, mm. they can they cannot perform very well financially, but also mm. critics will find a problem with it. Yeah, there's there's some movies that do tackle politics mm. and concepts like that and they do it well some of my mm. favorite films are about politics mm. persepolis vaults of bashir mm. um this is england uh the black mirror series mm. is about social and political issues and ever since the trump administration we've mm. had a lot wow. of films that we think have been talking on Trump or referencing his administration or kind of being for or against him. And some of those films are good, some not so much. It really depends yeah. if the politics outweighs the film's quality. Yeah, I think it's a tricky game to play, but I think the only... Because I think for me, it's hard to get like an unbiased opinion. Like I'm not saying don't do any political movies, but I'm saying there's kind of a way to go about it. Because I think the problem with some political films is either it's like far left or far right. Like in the feminist world, either you're extreme feminist or like you're insult. So we want something like which shows both sides, not just one side. And then because if it only shows one side, like, you're gonna get bored of the movie but if you see both sides then as the viewer you have kind of power like okay which side am i gonna pick i'm gonna pick this one that one and they can give the reasons yes i mean um some films do look at both sides of an argument or conflict um mm. a famous uh film by ridley scott kingdom of heaven about the crusades um doesn't just look at the christian side of a conflict but also the muslim side of the conflict mm. so i've heard of friends who are religious christians and who are religious muslims actually having watched that film and thinking to themselves this is actually a very good film because it shows the opposite side but it's all, but also shows our side mm. and uh then i also see uh you know films like joker which have become so politicized People seem to think it either represents right-wing beliefs or left-wing beliefs. Um, I spoke to Joker to one colleague, and they mm. told me that the film was intentionally going against left-wing politics and political correctness. But mm. then you also get people saying that, you know, the film is right-wing because it promotes certain things. Mm. Um, the incel movement have started kind of admiring the main character. Oh. <laughs> and then you don't really know which side's right or wrong or mm. what your opinion is on the matter. And people are still debating this, even about mm. two years after the film came out. Mm. Yeah, that's crazy. But I think that's the beautiful thing about art. It can be interpreted in different ways. I was just going to say, like, with the Joker, you could even have said that, like, 
he's even challenging the beauty standards of men in a way. You could that could have been thrown in the argument or debate. You could actually you could make that you could make that comment mm. about yeah. Joker. Um I mean to me also I didn't really focus on the politics. I just thought mm. that where politics was significant in the film was the fact that it was set in the early eighties during a recession in America and mm. the setting kind of impacted on the main character and the people around him. And I was empathetic to him, but mm. you know, he was also an anti hero, so he wasn't exactly a he wasn't exactly a moral protagonist, to put it lightly. Yeah, that's true. And like Joker. I kind of find it interesting how people have kind of made it a political thing because I didn't see that. But knowing me, like usually when I watch movies, I don't listen to the reviews. I just go watch it for myself. I don't know. It's tricky. It may or may not be political. I mean, we're not in the industry, so we'll never know. And if we did know, I mean, it would, <laughs> I mean, the right or left would like either ban it or support it. But yeah, tricky. I remember seeing The Hate You Give when I was young, and um, mm. I thought it was just a normal film about police brutality that was mm. very topical at the time. Turns out it was actually kind of referencing the BLM movement. Mm. Yep, 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 yep. BLM, tough times, tough times. It's crazy politics. Okay, we, we are ending. We almost have 40 minutes, so do you have any last words? My last words mm-hmm. to the audience, or to yes, the people sir. basically listening to this podcast, yeah. are, do you see yourself as a person who sees filmmaking as an art, as, mm-hmm. a, as a medium of art, and also, do you perhaps instead see yourself as a person who just watches films and doesn't care about the quality or that it has many multiple layers to it than what we believe, what we assume. That's a good, good question, and we'll end the show. Thank you, Luke, for coming on. This was a good conversation, I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Ephraim. I'm very glad Ooh. I could return. Yep, yep, yep. I'm sure we'll see more of you, and for the listeners, thank you for listening, and we hope you to see you again next week. Bye-bye. Cool, thanks. Cheerio.